Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Many people have to deal with infertility, and it can be an excruciatingly painful time for those that find themselves in that kind of situation. You may know of someone dealing with infertility or have an adult child or a friend that's dealing with it. And, and let's just say that you were in the middle of this. Let, let's say that you've been dealing with infertility for a number of years now. When your friends see you at church, let's say they, they know why you're going forward for prayer. They, they know why they don't hear from you around Mother's Day or Father's Day or something like that, in those moments, they can see how it affects you. They let you know that you are in their prayers, and they try to cheer you up and and let you know that it will be just a matter of time. And at some point, this will change, and there will be a day when you'll have that little bundle of joy. This goes on for years, and yet nothing changes. So then one day, you get the, the wonderful news that you thought you might never hear. You are pregnant. You tell all your friends and, and, and let them know that, that you are so excited. You're having a baby. How wonderful is that? You are over the moon happy. You, you seem to be walking on clouds. You're so excited. But instead of being happy for you, you get people that are not so happy. They tell you that this is not a good time to bring a new life into the world. All the chaos that is going on recently, and, and this is the world that this child will have to grow up in? They, they tell you that it is very expensive to raise a child today. And and with inflation rising the way it is, it's, it's only making things worse. They point out all the, the, the changes that you'll have to make in your lifestyle, the, the vacations and the, and the social events that you'll miss. You, you'll have to, to trade in that, that shiny red sports car for a minivan, they say. <laughs> you are very happy and excited to have a baby, but those around you are not really celebrating with you. These were the these were the same people that before the 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 wonderful news were were telling you that they were praying for you. These are the same people that consoled you earlier by saying how wonderful it would be when you finally get pregnant. But now that it has actually finally happened, they they want no part of the the baby shower or any kind of celebration. This this seems so totally opposite of what they were saying before. And it makes you question if they really meant what they said in the first place. Did they really want you to have a baby? Or were they your friends for maybe other reasons? Did they really feel bad that you were hurting so? Or did they, they like just the, the fact that you needed them? If this was you, in this scenario, how would that make you feel? Well, 
That is a little like what we're seeing now in the recent decisions that have come down from the Supreme Court in the last few weeks. Uh, There have been so many people that have been fighting for these issues. Many of these issues have, have been a struggle for decades. But now that the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the Constitution, you would think that you would see celebration of, of what's happening. And I'm not saying that, that we look for fireworks in the night sky, though oh, that, that is a thought. <laughs> but, but I would love to see some, from some of these, these people um, at least some level of happiness that that things are are finally after after all these years going to go in the right direction at least essentially among christians i i, I don't see a lot i mean especially christians many many of these rulings have direct effect on issues like prayer and even life itself if you've not seen some of the decisions that have come down recently. Let let me highlight just a few. In a series of articles from the Daily Wire comes an article from Tim Meads, whose headline reads, Supreme Court Rules Maine Can't Ban Taxpayer-Funded Tuition Assistance from Being Used Toward Religious Private Education. Now, June 21st, he wrote, On Tuesday, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the government cannot ban taxpayer-funded tuition assistance for private education from being used by citizens for private religious education. Now, that's a good thing, right? In the case Carson versus Macon, SCOTUS ruled 6-3 to three along ideological lines that the state of Maine's tu- tuition assistance program, which barred guardians from uh, using the funds for private religious education, was unconstitutional a- as it violated the First Amendment. Prior to oral arguments last spring, Scotus Blog explained that the case was brought by two families who wanted, quote, to send their children to Christian schools in the state, unquote, and ask for the help of Maine's tuition assistance program. And those uh, plaintiffs argued that the state's exclusion of schools that provide religious instruction from the program violates the Constitution, quote, Although the justice's ruling will directly affect fewer than 5,000 students in Maine, the court's eventual decision could have a significant impact on public funding for religious education well beyond the state's border. This was actually <laughs> what SCOTUS blog noted before the decision. For, for its part, Maine argued that allowing tax dollars to go toward private schools, such as certain Christian schools, could trample upon the idea that a public education is both defined by inclusion and tolerance and reflective of the diversity of our students and our community. That's, that's what they, they maintained. SCOTUS blog noted that one of the schools in question hired only born-again Christians and had an anti-LGBTQ educational agenda as a result the state was not required to fund their educational program as a substantive equivalent of the public education. Now, the Supreme Court disagreed with those arguments, and rightfully so. Now, supporters of parents' rights, religious freedom, and school choice see the victory as a monumental one in its potential ramifications 
across the country. But that was just the first of many decisions that have come down. If you follow this podcast, you you heard about this one uh, described to us by by Hank Berean, and it, it was uh, entitled "It is just incredible to know that I did nothing wrong." Joseph Kennedy celebrates SCOTUS win for religious freedom. On June 28th, he wrote uh, Joseph Kennedy, the high school football coach whose prayer on the field led to a landmark case and a victory for religious freedom, celebrated after the verdict was reached and saying, it is just incredible to know that I did nothing wrong. On Monday morning, the Supreme Court ruled in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District that Kennedy had his First Amendment rights violated after he was placed on administrative leave by the school district and banned from participating in the football program for praying on the field after games in view of students. Quote, I don't even know how to put it into words, Kennedy said. They they should have given me a day off to to think about it and and process it all. (laughs) He said, it is just incredible to know that I did nothing wrong. Everything I did was fine, he continued, and that the First Amendment is fine as as, as well for everyone else. His first liberty, or first liberty, which... Uh, represented Kennedy. It's it's an, a law firm that represented him. Uh, summed up the case's history through the court. And it, it says this, says the Bremerton Washington School District suspended and later fired Coach Kennedy over his silent 15-second prayer. First Liberty Institute filed a lawsuit against the school district, Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. A federal court, uh, district court, upheld Coach Kennedy's termination on appeal, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit concluded that because Coach Kennedy could be seen by students and fans encouraged, encur- encouraging in religious expression, the school lawfully terminated his employment and his silent prayers were not protected by the Constitution. Now, in January of 2019, the Supreme Court of the United States actually declined to review Coach Kennedy's case, but the case was turned, returned to the the district court to answer some of the questions raised by the justices. And upon rehearing, the district court and, and and then the Ninth Circuit again sided with the school district, setting up a return to the U.S. Supreme Court. "Quote: I had a uh, a, a commitment with God that I'd." Give him thanks for after every football game, win or lose, is what Kennedy said. And he said, and and that's the way I started out. I had some kids that that wanted to join, and they asked, of course, and 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 I said, well, it's it's a free country; they do what they want, and that went on fine for eight years. Then someone made a complaint and they started an investigation and he noted and the lawyers got involved from the school district and they wanted to completely remove all religious religious aspects from the public schools so they fired me and i've just been fighting ever since to get back Um, quote i really thought if someone just looked at the facts of the case and the way that the constitution was written that they would have to rule in my favor, he said. I was optimistic 
every step of the way. And I was surprised that the lower courts ruled against me, some of them so harshly. I was waiting for someone to get beyond what their bias was and just look at the facts of the case and rule accordingly. I think every American should have have been totally 100% on my side from just my perspective, he stated. This is about the First Amendment. It was it had nothing to do with infringing on anyone else's. And this is this is somebody exercising the freedom that is in our country. People feel the Constitution has been put aside and they haven't had the freedom. And that's why they are so excited about this, he, he said. Kennedy asserted that he just wants to return to his old job, saying that that's all that I asked for from the beginning. The only thing I asked for was to be a coach and and thank God after. So I'm waiting for the school district and my lawyers to figure it out. <laughs> so even, even this decision, um, or even the, the decision on gun rights has major implications for conservative Christians everywhere. So, so much so that the winning attorneys actually got fired. <laughs> in, a, in an article from Greg Wilson, he, he said that, that the lawyers who won a major Second Amendment case before the U.S. Supreme Court this week got even less than a pat on the back from the white shoe law firm that they worked for. They were forced to quit. Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy, the lawyers who successfully argued against New York uh, New York's law, restricting concealed carry permits, were told by Kirkland and Ellis that they had to stop representing Second Amendment plaintiffs or find another firm. In a Wall Street Journal article, the, the duo explained how their celebration was, was really cut short. Quote, having just secured a landmark decision vindicating our clients' constitutional Second Amendment right in, in New York State, Rifle and, and, and Pistol Association versus um, uh, ruin, we were presented with a stark choice, w withdraw from representing them or withdraw from the firm, they wrote. There was only one choice. We couldn't abandon our clients simply because their positions were unpopular in some circles. So congratulations, <laughs> Paul and <laughs> Clement and, and Aaron Murphy. You won Thursday's concealed carry uh, weapons case. Uh, leave Kirkland and Ellis after the firm said it would not allow you to work there anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's just just weird, right? The pair struck a blow for gun rights uh, when the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three on Thursday that New York's uh, restrictions on gun permits violated the 2nd and the 14th Amendments. The decision was widely viewed as the uh, widest expansion of gun rights in more than a decade, according to the Wall Street Journal. The case re revolved around a 1911 New York state law that made the right to a concealed carry permit contingent on demonstrating good moral character and proper cause. In the majority opinion, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote that New Yorkers could not be required to show why they must demonstrate a need to exercise a constitutional right. <laughs> so you don't have to be made to demonstrate why you need the constitutional right. You just have it. 
<laughs> quote, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officials some special need. <laughs> That's what Thomas wrote. That, that it is not how the First Amendment works. And when it comes to unpopular speech or the free speech, uh, the free exercise of religion, it just doesn't work that way. It, it, it is not how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witnesses against him. And it is not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self-defense. Now, the decision has implications for at least eight other so-called May-issue states, uh, where bureaucrats have the final say in in whether the citizen's permit is is uh, granted. In New York, the law was used to render concealed carry handgun permits nearly impossible to obtain. And Clement, who served as the U.S. Solicitor General under President George W. Bush, and Murphy, also an uh, experienced uh, appellate attorney, uh, were partners in the firm, but they wrote that uh, they were res- uh, resigned to leaving after being told that they can't take on any Second Amendment cases any longer. Uh, quote, this isn't the first time that we've ha- uh, that we have left a firm to uh, stick by a client, they wrote. <laughs> what makes this circumstance different is that the firm approved of our representation of these clients years ago and dropped them uh, and dropping them would cost the clients years of uh, institutional memory. More remarkable still is one of the cases we were asked to drop, we prevailed in the Supreme Court. <laughs> so, so yay, you won in the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, you're gone, you're fired. <laughs> but, but the decision, the big decision, was the end of Roe v. Wade. And, and that... And, and, and really the sending of abortion uh, and the abortion issue back to the, the state level. And in an article from Ben Shapiro, he says that this week, the Supreme Court uh, of the United States issued a ruling uh, overdue by some five decades, striking down Roe v. Wade, the 1973 uh, uh, decision, and its constitutionality, unsubstantiated right to abortion. <laughs> Right. right, like there's a right to abortion. Writing for the uh, the six to three majority in Dobbs versus Jackson Justice, uh, Samuel uh, uh, Alito stated the Constitution makes no reference to abortion. And he's right; it makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. So you can't even find where it might, you know, be in there somehow with something else. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. That's what he wrote in the decision. Now, despite the media's wailing and gnashing of teeth, <laughs> and despite Democrats' you know, impotent roars of rage, the, the reality is that the Supreme Court's decision was not extreme in any way. It, it did not reflect the most adent uh, desires of, of pro-lifers. I mean, in other words, it didn't completely do away with with abortion altogether. Uh, it did not, for example, declare a uh, right to life applicable to unborn children under the Fourteenth Amendment guarantee against the removal of you know uh, of of life, liberty, and and property without due process of law. Nor did the decision follow the legally correct advice of of Justice Clarence Thomas, who recommended trashing the Supreme Court's doctrine of 
substantive due process. Uh, it's it's a persistently and, and irritatingly vague rubric um, rubric that that generally acts as a pretext for courts to pursue their you know their favored public policy uh, objectives. But the the decision did did not even suggest that the federal uh, Congress had the power to regulate abortion in in place of of state laws. No. The Dobbs ruling returned the status of the question of abortion to the status quo prior to Roe. Now, states will decide how and when to regulate abortion. Some states, like Texas, will work to bar abortion, except in cases in which the mother's life is in danger. Others, like New York, will cheer abortion, uh, uh, you know, on and and uh, and they'll have um abortions up to the point of, of actual birth. Uh, no consensus policy is likely to emerge because there's no consensus on the issue among Americans. Yet Democrats and the media seem firmly convinced that the reanimation of abortion is, has, has, a, has a state law issue will somehow translate into 2022 election uh, victories. And there is little evidence evidence to this effect. State law generally uh, reflect the opinions of those who live in those states, and the more ardent abortion defend, defenders tend to to reside in 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 heavy blue areas, you know, like like the you know the east and west coasts and things like that. Um, and 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 these this is where abortion uh, will be freely available. Uh, it, it's hard to believe that Manhattan residents are going to show up at the polls in mass to vote on Alabama's abortion policy, right? And even if they did, it would it would make no no difference in the House or the Senate elections in Ohio. Let's say there there is another problem for Democrats too, and that problem lies in the simple fact that if Americans do vote based on abortion, well, they don't they. they they don't do so purely based on preferred abortion policy. They they do so based on the the attitude of the parties toward abortion generally. So and and today the party of abortion extremism is the Democratic Party, which for long ago abandoned the the logically unsound but emotionally appealing rubric of safe, legal, and rare. Remember, you know, President Bill Clinton, you know, all that, you know, we, we, we don't really like abortions, but, but we, we, want, we want to keep them uh, available as long as they're safe, legal, and rare, right? Uh, inst- instead, in, they, they've, they've instituted this hideous, monstrous, you know, shout your abortion type of thing. You know, the Democratic Party moved away from moral condemna- uh, condemnation of abortion because Democrats now believe that human happiness is rooted in in subjective self uh, definition and particularly uh, with regards to like sexual activity that that's that biology and and particularly pregnancy and and childbearing it, it is an active imposition on on such a vision of human happiness and that abortion is therefore a sacrament to be protected Few few Americans outside of solid blue areas agree with these bizarre and, and ugly notions. So while Democrats suggest that voters will resignate to their abortion messaging, um, fearful of abortion restrictions that might prohibit them from terminating their, their pregnancies, 
they miss a, a broader point. Their, their vision of human happiness and the measures necessary to achieve it are not in line with, with, who, with, with most Americans. And, and that means that the culture war and the left began, uh, is, is, is now turning against them. And that really is how it should be, right? When you have such extremism when it comes to your view of abortion, that, that even, even partial birth abortions, which, you know, we, we won't get into right now exactly what all that entails, but basically it's a baby that's half born and then you can kill it. And, and the Democratic Party is all in favor of that and you're supposed to celebrate that. That's extremism. And, and I, I just don't see how you're going to have people go to the polls and vote for that and make that their main issue. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So, so you, you would think that this is a time of celebration. I mean, I've just gone through a number of, of things that we can definitely celebrate here, here, but, but are we seeing this, this big celebration? Well, from PBS.org, it says that faith leaders react with joy anger, and anger to Roe's reversal. And it goes through a number of, of pastors you know, that, that, are, that are celebrating what has happened, particularly with Roe. But then there's these, and let me read some of these to you. It says, quote, I recognize there are people on both sides of the question in the Catholic Church, said Baltimore Archbishop William Laurie, who chairs the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Pro-Life Activities. What we are finding, though, is that when people become more aware of what the church is doing to assist women in difficult pregnancies, hearts and minds begin to change. So, you know, it's not necessarily celebrating, but he's, you know, at least he's not, you know, condemning it, right? And then there's this one. It says, I am deeply grieved. I have been ordained more than 40 years, and I have served as a pastor in poor communities. I have witnessed firsthand the negative impact this decision will have. Today's decision institutionalizes inequality because women will access, uh, with access to resources, um, uh, will be able to exercise their moral judgment in ways that women without the same resources will not. This is Michael Curry. He's present, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. He said that in a statement. Uh, here's another one. Today's Supreme Court decision, discard, discarding nearly 50 years of precedent, will endanger the lives and well-being of birthing people who do not choose to continue pregnancy. God loves and cares for people who have abortions, and so does the United Church of Christ. This came from the general ministers of the United Church of Christ in a joint statement. And here's another one. Catholics on the right spent decades reducing church teachings to a single issue and linked arms with a uh, conservative movement that is hostile to the church's teachings about a consistent ethic of life and the common good. This ruling is the accumulation of that misguided campaign. This is John Gehring, who is a Catholic program director at the Washington-based clergy network Faith in Public Life, and he tweeted that out. Uh, here's, here's one more. Uh, 
this country has no legitimacy. Uh, we will not live by this decision. And this was Reverend uh, Jaqui Lewis, who is a senior minister at a middle uh, colligate church in New York City. And he also tweeted that out as well. Um, this is this is not just a lack of celebration here, um, you know, for the end of Roe. It is a showing uh, um, uh, of their disdain over the decision. Can, can you hear it in their words? I mean, how could anyone that claims to be a Christian, especially a Christian leader, hate the fact that this ruling means that many innocent unborn babies are now going to not be killed? How could you not celebrate that? Seriously, I, it reminds me of, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, of Jesus' time. They had power to, to influence as church leaders. When Jesus came along, that threatened their power and, and it threatened them. So instead of, of supporting someone who was who they say they worshiped and followed, they killed him instead. I mean, doesn't it ring true to you that you have these Christian leaders that are now saying, well, we don't want this. This is terrible. Uh, it also reminds me of the the, the never Trumpers. <laughs> these were individuals of influence that made a lot of money claiming to be conservative. I mean, they they asked for donations, they wrote books, they set up cruises, even claiming that they were working for conservative causes. But when Donald Trump came along and was actually successful in instituting many conservative policies, well, they worked to get him out of office. So were these people really church leaders? Were these people really conservatives? Were these people really your friends helping you through a difficult time of infertility? Well, I think the answer is clear. So let's not, let's, let's, let's not get caught up in the, well, if you're really pro-life, you should not be celebrating Dobbs' decision uh, you know, type of mentality. When someone tells you, that not not to celebrate because there are all these other pro-life areas that need attention to, I suggest that you send them an invitation to your party celebrating all the wonderful things that are finally happening. And you may not even agree with that. Maybe you do. I would love to have that discussion with you. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.